All right, well, good morning once again. I guess by the, the, the hushed tone, everyone's ready to jump into the Bible class this morning. And that's good. Uh, we are a little bit earlier than normal. I think we're starting right on time, actually, uh, for once. Uh, but that's okay, because uh, this, this uh, chapter, or this lesson, uh, demands our attention here this morning. And if you're following along in the curriculum, we're in lesson number 77 this morning. Or if you want to follow along in the Bible, we'll be in Luke chapter 16, uh, starting in verse 19 through 31. Again, this uh, lesson number 77, Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31, which of course, uh, is, hopefully you're familiar with this, uh, this account, because this is the rich man and Lazarus. And uh, I know it's, uh, it's a great encouragement to me to always read uh, this account, and hopefully it is you as well. But before we jump into that, uh, let's kind of catch up where we were. On Wednesday evening, we looked at uh, the first part of Luke chapter 16, where Jesus is discussing once again uh, the problem of uh, wealth, uh, the problem of those who are lovers of money, which uh, he was uh, talking about the Pharisees at that point. You remember we looked at this parable, which I, I mentioned uh, when you look up in the, the scholars have all different names for this, uh, but you might re- recall it as the, the parable of the unjust steward or the wise steward or the unrighteous manager, the shrewd manager. But remember, this is a parable that Jesus gives about uh, there's a rich man who has a, a house manager. Right? He, hi- he hires a steward, a house manager to look over his things. You know, he's the guy that's in charge of the everyday affairs of the home. However, he finds out that this steward is squandering his possessions. Uh, he's squandering the man's possessions. So the, the rich man, the master, he decides that he's going to let go this manager. He's going to fire him. And so, but before he can do that, the manager finds out uh, that he was basically told on. You know, he, he found out that the manager is going to fire him. And so he gets worried. Right? He says, you know, I'm too, I'm too weak to go to work, and I'm too proud to beg. Uh, so, but apparently he wasn't too proud to lie, to be deceptive, because he comes up with this great idea in his mind. And so he goes to all of his uh, master's debtors, you know, those who owe him uh, some money. And he says, you know, take your bill. Uh, you know, you owe, you know, a hundred um, uh, of oil, you know, you take whatever whatever you owe. I want you to take that and you know slash off fifty percent and say that you only owe fifty percent. And then he goes to another one, the same deal. Uh, you owe uh, you owe, now you only owe eighty percent, right? And so he's he's working out these bargains with these uh, debtors, these people who owe his master money, and he's really doing that because uh, he's trying to look for favors later on. He's trying to help himself in the current position for later on in his future. Uh, he knows that he's going to need a place to stay because he's going to be without a job. He's going to be homeless. And so uh, he's doing these things. Now, it's interesting because when that rich man, when that master comes back to uh, deal with his manager, we might think that he's going to be pretty upset, right? We, we might think that he's going to be upset that he's squandering his possessions and now that he's, uh, you know, he's cutting prices with what he's owed. But uh, notice... Let's just go ahead and read that verse again. Luke 16, verse 8, it says, And his master praised the unrighteous manager because he had acted shrewdly. Then he says, For the sons of this age are more shrewd in relation to their own kind than the sons of light. 
you know, we see this, this manager was looking out for, you know, his future uh, self. And that's really what was the point of this parable was that, you know, people, unri- unrighteous people can, uh, as he says there in that verse, are, are better at accomplishing worldly things than the sons of light, you know, God's children at, at accomplishing or thinking into the future about preparing for themselves, planning for themselves. And so he refers to them as, as being shrewd. And we talked about how that word shrewd is sometimes seen in a negative light, but we also notice that sometimes in Scripture uh, we are told to be shrewd. You know, in Matthew chapter 10, when he sends out those to go out and, and to evangelize, he tells them to be you know, shrewd as serpents, but innocent as doves. Uh, again, you know, kind of having your head on a swivel type thing and being aware uh, being shrewd. And, and so this, this man in this parable is actually commended, not because of the unethical behavior that he does, right? Because Jesus refers to him throughout this parable as an unrighteous steward, but because he was planning for his future. And also the, the lesson also had to do with, uh, you know, we talked about this word mammon. Uh, you can't serve both God and mammon, or uh, it's just another word for wealth, God and wealth. And Jesus says uh, throughout here that, you know, if you're faithful in a little, then you're going to be faithful in much. Um, And that you also can't be uh, unrighteous with earthly treasures and expect to have the riches of heaven, he says. And you can't, again, you can't serve both God and wealth. So, again, there was a lot that we unpacked uh, Wednesday evening in that lesson. And so let's move on into Luke chapter 16, starting in verse 19 uh, for the next this next section. You know, all of us have at one time or another probably asked questions about, um, you know, what happens after death. You know, what, let me ask you, uh, what are some questions that you have about, uh, you know, the next life that you often think about maybe? Sorry? Okay, better than this one. Do you, okay, well, what's it going to be like? That's a good question. Uh, what can we expect? Uh, where are the dead right now? Right? Th- those are questions we often ask. When we die, do we go directly to heaven? Uh, will we know one another in heaven? You know, people often ask that question. Uh, will we have our memories? Will, be, will we be conscious? Um, you know, a lot of times, people, you know, there's that song we sing, No Tears in Heaven, right? Uh, but we often think, well, you know, if I'm, uh, if I'm in heaven and there's no tears in heaven, but I have my memories, I'm conscious, you know, how am I going to react to those uh, who might not be there with me, right? Those are a lot of questions that we have. I know uh, there are a lot, of, a lot of other questions we might ask ourselves as well, and these are all good questions, and you know, we'll seek to answer some of those here in, in this lesson. You know, um, this is, again, this is one of those parts in Scripture that is jam-packed with information uh, about the, uh, the after, or this next life. Um, it's not going to answer every single question that we have, but it does uh, seem to answer a lot of those for us. But before we jump in there, you know, again, remember the context of what we've been studying the past couple of weeks. You know, Jesus is... Um, back in Luke 15, remember he's uh, 
being criticized by who? The Pharisees, the scribes and the Pharisees. You know, they're, uh, they're criticizing Jesus for uh, having uh, interaction with uh, those that they, again, reference as sinners. You know, the tax collectors and the sinners. You know, what does Jesus have to do with them? And so they, they've got, you know, a people problem. Uh, if you will, uh, the, uh, of those who they uh, believe that they're holier than. But then we also get to Luke chapter 16, the lesson we looked at last week, and we noticed that uh, they, the Bible tells us that the Pharisees were also lovers of money. Right? And so then we get that, uh, that aspect taken care of with that parable. And so uh, here we have, again, uh, people who uh, Jesus is trying to change their mind uh, about their interactions with people, and also their interactions with money. And so that kind of gets combined here in this, uh, this account, uh, here in Luke chapter 16, verse 19, because we're going to be talking about a rich man, and we're going to be talking about how he dealt uh, with this other man by the name of Lazarus. And so let's remember that context as we're studying this passage, because this isn't a passage that's meant to inform us about what's going to, or what takes place uh, after death. But it does give us some of that detail that we have. So, again, I, I've mentioned this before, but I believe uh, Luke 16, 19 through 31, the rich man and Lazarus, is one of the most powerful lessons in all the scriptures. Um, some preachers have said that it's converted more souls to Christ than, uh, than even some preachers have because of the impact that it has. And so we're going to notice that here as we read through it. Uh, but then if you read ahead in the curriculum, you'll notice that it sort of uh, talks more about the aspect of, of, of death and uh, where the rich man and Lazarus are. And so we'll uh, sort of follow along with that as well uh, here. So let, let's read uh, the whole parable. Uh, or excuse me. The, let me back that up. Let me, let's read this whole account. And then we'll, then we'll ask ourselves uh, this one question that's often asked at the beginning. Is this a parable or not? And so... Keep that in mind as you read through that. Uh, may, keep, your, keep in mind uh, as we read through this because a lot of people will categorize this as a parable and a lot of people will categorize it as not a parable but a true account. And so kind of keep that in mind and then we'll discuss that here in a moment. So Luke chapter 16 starting in verse 19. Now there was a rich man and he habitually dressed in purple and fine linen, joyously living in splendor every day. And a poor named poor man named Lazarus was laid at his gate covered with sores and longing to be fed with the crumbs which were falling from the rich man's table. Besides, even the dogs were coming and licking his sores. Now the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I am in agony in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your life you received your good things and likewise Lazarus bad things. But now he is being comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, there is a great chasm fixed. So that those who wish to come over from here to you will not be able, and that none may cross over from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, that you send him to my father's house. 
For I have five brothers, in order that he may warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. But he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. Okay, so again, uh, you know, often the first question that comes up studying this is, is this a parable or not? Uh, Is it a big deal either way? Yeah, there's convincing arguments on, you know, either side. You know, first off, let's, here's, here's my perspective is that this is not, a parable, but this is you know an actual event that that Jesus is describing. Um, in most parables, you know the, the the author will say you know Jesus spoke a parable, right? Or Jesus told a parable. Um, he doesn't do that here. That, that's not given. Uh, also, um, in any parable that you've ever read, was a, a character in that parable given a name? No. And so here we have this man named Lazarus. We're given this man's name. And so that never has happened in any of other of Jesus' parables. And so, again, that leads to some credibility that this is not a parable. Uh, and again, wh- think of what the, the function of a parable is. Or what's that saying that we often say uh, a parable is? Yeah, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And so, you know, Jesus will often give a parable about, uh, you know, some sort of uh, gardening or a seed or fish, fishing. And then he'll use that to, uh, because that's what they would have been good at knowing in the day was agriculture or fishing. Uh, and then use those things to teach a spiritual truth. And again, we don't see that formula here. So again, uh, uh, a lot of scholars will say that, you know, this, no, this, this is not a parable. This is, this is a true account, the true story that Jesus is, is telling. Now, on the flip side, you know, some believe that this is a parable because, you know, we've just gotten done reading uh, three or four parables, right? There were the three in Luke 15. Uh, there was the one at the beginning of Luke 16. And so uh, some believe, okay, well, he's just transitioning into another parable here. Uh, another reason that the, the, the curriculum mentions is that uh, the, the name Lazarus actually means uh, God is the, the, the helper or God is my helper. And so, um, so some are kind of thinking that you know, maybe this was a, a play on words, uh, so to speak. Again, that Lazarus wasn't a real person, but this was just a name, a sort of a play on words, a parable, again, if you will, of noticing this man's uh, wretchedness, uh, that, uh, that he needs help. And so, again, the, there are these two different aspects. Again, um, you know, my perception is that, again, that this is not a parable, that Jesus is giving us a, a real account uh, of a man by the name of Lazarus and, uh, and a rich man. And let's talk about these characters here for a moment. Uh, we start off with this rich man. Again, what do we know about this rich man uh, from uh, what we're told about him? What's he wearing? 
Okay, he's wearing purple, right, and, and fine linen. Do you know anything about the color purple uh, in that day and age? Royal, yeah. Uh, do, you, do you think it was something common every day, or was it uh, rare to get? It was rare, wasn't it? Uh, one, a, a, a man uh, by the name of Pliny the Elder, he was uh, a historian, a government official in that day, uh, he wasn't a friend of Christianity, but we have some of his writings, and he says that it took thousands of snails, thousands of mollusks to produce just an ounce of purple dye. All right, so uh, you can kind of tell that this man is dressed in purple, and so whatever he's wearing, it must have been very time-intensive. It must have been something very expensive that you know, somebody like him could afford. So here's the rich man. He's wearing purple. Um, what else do we know about him? Sorry? He ate. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he feasted, didn't he? he? He was somebody who had a lot of food. He lived in splendor every day. Uh, every meal was a feast to him. Uh, so much so that, you know, people like Lazarus knew that, you know, he had crumbs at his table uh, that, that he could probably afford to give. What was his attitude towards people? Was he a compassionate man? No, he wasn't. Uh, you know, it's interesting. It's interesting in this uh, this uh, dialogue that you know he knows who Lazarus is. You know, he's this man who's laid at his gate. Uh, he probably, or again, he he knew uh, who Lazarus was uh, from his from his earthly life. He recognized him, uh, knowing who he was. But again, uh, he had no compassion on him. Uh, what would we learn about his? Well, I guess we we don't we're not expect we're not specifically told uh, about his funeral, but uh, we are told that he uh, was buried, right? And so he probably had a pretty uh, elaborate uh, funeral. And uh, but what what was what was not mentioned in his death that was actually mentioned in Lazarus' death? You remember this? Angels, angels right. Uh, we're told that Lazarus, the angels, carried Lazarus to Abraham's bosom, but there's no mention of angels at all uh, in the process of the rich man. So, again, we, we see this man, he's, he's not compassionate towards uh, the poor. He, he's living in splendor. He's, uh, um, again, uh, we see that he dies. And then he's contrasted here now with this man, this beggar, uh, Lazarus. And again, what can, we, what can we say about Lazarus? What did, what, what did we learn about him in the text? Okay, so the angels uh, were involved in his death, and they took him to uh, Abraham's bosom. Did someone say he was poor? Uh, uh, hungry, yeah, uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, I wanted to I wanted to make this quick note. Um, we read that you know again he only wanted the crumbs, right? Uh, that's a guarantee that you know he wasn't going to eat. And, and one of the the studies that I was reading it said, uh, and I don't know if this is necessarily the case in this case, but it said that uh, it suggested that you know when they cleaned tables back then, you know they didn't have. Uh, paper towels to wipe down or anything like that, what they would do is they would take the old pieces of bread and kind of, you know, 
uh, sop up uh, the, the, the messes right, with, with the old bread. And that was, uh, in fact, the crumbs that Lazarus was begging for. You know, it wasn't just uh, these crumbs, but it was these crumbs of the bread that were used to clean up the mess. Right? That's how desperate, that's how hungry he was uh, to want to eat that. So uh, here we have Lazarus. He's poor. Um, where's he laid at every day? Right, at the rich man's gate. And so that kind of tells us that you know, he probably didn't really have the strength to walk. Did he? Because he was laid there. And what was it about his body that we are told? Covered in sores. Yes. Uh, What sort of medical attention did he receive? The dogs, yes. Uh, The dogs licking his sores. That's the only medical attention he received uh, in this life were the the dogs that were coming and licking his sores. And so... um, that's you know, a pretty thorough account of this man, Lazarus, that we read about. Uh, he does not have a funeral. We're not told about a funeral given to him, but we are told about the angels who carried him away to Abraham's bosom. And so uh, throughout this ca- account, we, are, we see that these two men's lives are contrasted in you know, the earthly life, and we see these two lives being contrasted in death, and then we see these two lives being contrasted, you know, again, beyond the grave. And... So let's uh, kind of move into more of the detail of, you know, just where they were. Uh, where does it say the rich man was? Verse 23. Hades. Hades. Does anyone have the King James? What is hell? Yeah, the King James translated, translated, translates it hell. But most of the modern day translations translates uh, Hades. So... Uh, so we're told that the, the rich man is in Hades. And what does it say about his condition in that same verse? He's in torment. All right, he's in torment. So he's in Hades. He's in torment. But, you know, where's Lazarus at this time? He's, he's in Abraham's bosom. But we, we notice the rich man can see Lazarus, right? And so... Uh, we'll, we'll talk about that here again in a little bit, uh, what all that means. But um, the rich man, you know, we see him even in death. You know, everything is focused around him, isn't it? Uh, he, he first, he says to Abraham that he wants Lazarus to give him comfort, right? Have Lazarus come and, and have that water to, uh, to uh, quench him. Uh, but Abraham says, you know, that, that can't be possible because there's this great chasm, this great gulf fixed between the two, and no one can come from one side or the other. But then Lazarus uh, basically says, okay, well, if he can't uh, come to me, then I want you to send him back to uh, my five brothers and warn them about this place. Right? Warn them that, so that they won't come here as I am. And so what is the sense you get about the rich man even in death? Okay, yeah. Selfish? Yeah, I mean, he's, he's used, in his earthly life, he's used to sort of bossing people around, getting his own way. And we kind of see that uh, flowing through into the afterlife as well. You know, he's telling Abraham to make Lazarus go do this and that. And so 
but of course, again, uh, Abraham tells him that that's not possible, right? He wanted Lazarus to go and warn his five brothers, um, but he, he's not able to do that. And we'll touch some more on that here in a minute. So um, let's turn our attention to Abraham's responses to the rich man's pleas. Uh, again, was, was the request of the rich man uh, improper at this time? Yeah, his fate's sealed, right? The Abraham, or excuse me, the rich man's fate is sealed. Um, he had his opportunities on earth. He had his time on earth, uh, and once he died, his his fate is sealed, right? Um, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, the practice of Mormonism, but the Mormons have a belief that uh, that you can. Uh, I think they call it like proxy baptism. That you can be baptized for for somebody else who's already gone on, you know. And so, uh, some some people even they'll make sort of a game of it. They'll they'll try to, uh, you know, be ba- be the one baptized for you know maybe somebody famous a long time ago. And so they actually believe that uh, you know if somebody was never baptized in this life, that they can uh, be baptized or they can ba- be baptized in the event for somebody else. Right, but here uh, in Luke chapter 16, we learn that uh, the fate is sealed, right? Yes. That, 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 that you can't be baptized on behalf of somebody else uh, who has been gone a, a while. So, so his, his request is improper, and it's also impossible. Again, there's, what is that thing that's between the two of them, or the, between the rich man and Lazarus? The gulf, the gulf right? The, this great gulf fixed. And you know, I don't know how you imagine it. I always think of, you know, like the Grand Canyon. You know, again, it's, I have no idea what it truly uh, it looks like. But I, in my mind, I think of the Grand Canyon. You know, one standing on one side, another standing on another. And you can see one another. And you can um, maybe make out them. Uh, but you just, you can't get from that side to the other. Uh, and what, are, what was the rich man told uh, the reason why uh, Lazarus couldn't go back to, uh, t- to see the brothers. Remember this in verse 29? Yeah, they have Moses and the prophets. What's, what's that in reference to, you think? The scriptures, right. The, the Old Testament scriptures. They have... The Old Testament scriptures, they have the words of Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them, is what Abraham says. Um, and then he goes a little bit further. But, but if only someone from the dead would, you know, come back and give them that message, then they would believe. Well, do you think that would always be the case? Do we, have a, an event, do we have an event in the scriptures about somebody coming back from the dead and yet still people wanting to kill Jesus because of it? Jesus comes back, Lazarus. Okay, yeah, Jesus, of course. But I was thinking, ironically, there's this other uh, Lazarus in scripture. This is a different Lazarus in John chapter 11 who Jesus raises from the dead, right? And Jesus raises him from the dead. Now, some do believe, uh, but... We're told a lot of the, the leaders are, are angry and upset because of this. They don't want Jesus to get a, a bigger following, and so uh, they plan to put Lazarus back to death. 
even if someone comes back from the dead and proclaims a message, uh, Abraham says, you know, they, they still uh, won't believe, right? They have Moses and the scriptures. Let them hear them. That's a good question for us. Do we need more than the scriptures today? We shouldn't. We shouldn't, should we? Peter said it, the, we've, been given, we've been given everything pertaining to life and godliness, 2 Peter chapter 1. You know, we're told all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching and reproof and correction and training in righteousness. Jude 3, we're told that the faith has once been all handed down to the saints. Right? We have been given everything that we need uh, in this life. Um, now, of course, we have not only... Uh, the Old Testament, uh, but we have the New Testament now. And those are uh, what we are to follow today. So they have Moses and the prophets. You know, today we have uh, the New Testament. And then, um, so again, so what can we conclude about the state of uh, these individuals? And uh, there's at least three things that it brings up. It talks about, again, uh, by the interaction that we see in this, uh, in this account, you know, they were conscious, right? They were interacting with one another. They remembered their life, their previous life on earth. Uh, they had memory, of course. Uh, they knew who they were. But, you know, again, that, that third one was that their fate was sealed. You know, obviously, it's our prayer that none of us end up like the rich man, but you know, just put yourselves in his place at this time in, in this account. What, what do you think would be, I guess it might be trite to speculate, but what do you think would be the worst thing about being, uh, you know, eternally lost? Is it going to be the, the, the torment, the physical the aspect of it? Okay, so you say it's the mental aspect of it. Separation from God. Separation from God. Yeah, that's definitely the number one. Right. Oh, sorry. Permanent. Permanent, right. Eternal, yes. So, the rich man. This, this was a man who we, we notice uh, throughout this account. He was grieved by sin. Right? He was upset about the sin in his life. Uh, we find out that he valued preaching. Right? Go send Lazarus and, and tell them about where I am. So obviously he valued preaching. He saw a need to go to the lost. You know, he saw a need to go uh, to his brothers. He was evangelistic minded. Uh, and he was concerned by the plight of others. Are those some good aspects? Some good characteristics a person should have? Yeah, but... What about the rich man that, that, that fails short? It all came too late, didn't it? It all came too late uh, because those are things that he did not recognize until uh, after uh, his death. So, um, like, I told, like I mentioned, the, this curriculum uh, wanted to focus a lot about uh, the aspect of the rich man of Lazarus. Oh, I guess we only have five minutes to go. Oh, so much more to go. But uh, what happens to us according to uh, this account after uh, death? Um, let's talk about uh, this word hell for a moment. Um, 
It's found 23 times in the King James Version of the Bible. And again, there's, there's a little bit of confusion uh, here with uh, the, some of the words, some of these uh, Greek words that are translated uh, hell. And uh, there's these three Greek words in particular. There, there's Hades, uh, Tartarus, and Gehana. Now, Hades is the one that we are focusing in on here in Luke chapter 16. Uh, it's found 10 times in the scriptures. Uh, this word Hades means uh, the unseen, uh, the, the realm of the unseen. Um, have you ever been reading in the Old Testament and you've seen this word uh, come up over and over again, especially in the Psalms, and it's spelled S H E O L? I think it's pronounced Sheol. Have you ever wondered what that word was? In a Psalm 139, for an example, Psalm 139, you know, uh, David here is recounting uh, the greatness of God about how he's ever present and how he's all powerful and he's all knowing. And he talks about, uh, you know, how God is ever present. And he says, you know, if I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. Well, that word Sheol is the same, um, basically the same word as Hades. Again, it's this, the realm of the unseen. Uh, <clears throat> and they both refer to that. Uh, turn, if you would, uh, quickly to Acts chapter 2, verse uh, 31. While, while Peter is preaching, you know, again, that first gospel sermon that we mentioned here this morning, in Acts chapter 2, verse 31, or let, let's back up to verse 30. Uh, Peter says, and so because he was a prophet, and he's speaking of David, and so because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him that an oath to seat one of his descendants on the throne, he looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was neither abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh suffer decay. Now again, the King James renders that word Hades as hell, uh, but... Uh, some of the newer translations, New King James, the ESV, New American Standard, they all, uh, instead of rendering it hell, they render it as Hades to sort of help us not to be confused because this isn't, uh, Jesus did not go to, after he had died, was, did not go to hell um, as we think of hell as the eternal abode of the wicked, but he went to Hades as he says here in, verse, in Acts chapter 2 verse 31 that Christ would not be abandoned to Hades. And of course, again, this is referring to the Hadean realm. Hades, Hadean realm. Uh, within Hades, you've got, according to Luke 16, you've got on one side a place of torment, and this is where the rich man was, and on the other side, you've got Abraham's bosom. Uh, uh, do you remember what, do you remember the other scripture uh, that refers to this place in another name was? Remember what Jesus said to the thief on the cross? Paradise. Today I will be with you in paradise. Well, if Jesus in Acts chapter 231 uh, went to Hades uh, after you know, his, his death on the cross and that he was going to be with the thief in paradise, you know, we can conclude that paradise, Abraham's bosom, they're all one place. Right? This is the, this is the, the side of Hades the, uh, uh, that the righteous will be. Um, so again, obviously we understand Christ, Christ was not in hell uh, after, uh, his, um, 
his death, but that was, again, just, it's just, a, it's not a great translation of that word Hades. And so, uh, again, most translators now will just uh, use the word Hades to, deter, to help us understand that this isn't talking about hell, but it's talking about Hades. And so, uh, so Hades is that first word. Uh, that second word that's often referred to uh, or often translated as hell is Tataris. Uh, this is only found once in the scriptures in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. And it's referring to uh, where God uh, is going to, or where God has placed the, those angels uh, who have uh, gone astray. And, and this is in reference to uh, torment, right? This is where those angels are right now, in torment, according to 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. Right. Yeah. Now, now uh, the Catholics will call it purgatory, right? Uh, but there, there's a different aspect to that. Um, you know, there there are things within their doctrine uh, that can happen. You know, you can uh, buy yourself out of purgatory or things like that. But again, the Hadean realm is, you know, as long as Christ doesn't come back in our lifetime, you know, we will all um, be in the Hadean realm. It'll be either on one side of the chasm or the other, uh, the rich man's uh, side, of course, or, or Lazarus. So Gehenna, that, that third word in Greek, um, that's, the, that's the word that we, you know, we really understand as hell. You know, the, the final, eternal, uh, existing place of, uh, of the, the unrighteous, you know, the place where, um, again, that's often, that's always translated as hell. And, uh, and we understand that uh, because, you know, probably the biggest challenge for us is, or for those who um, don't necessarily believe that is, you know, what the scriptures have to say about the judgment day, right? Uh, what's, what's going to happen on the day of judgment? Okay, we'll, we'll stand before the judge, right? Every knee will bow, every tongue shall confess. And, uh, of course, uh, you know, Second Peter tells us that the world's going to be destroyed at that point, but that's also the, the time that we will be judged, right? It's the time where, you know, Revelation talks about how Hades is going to uh, let go of all the, its inhabitants, and uh, it's going to be cast into the lake of fire, and basically from that point on, you know, you will be officially judged. The, the best way that I've understood this is, uh, you know, think of somebody... Think, you know, it, it, think of you know a heinous crime. Somebody commits a heinous crime. You know it's pretty bad. Um, they're going to probably be locked up, right? Maybe at the county jail for a month, two, three, or four until the trial happens, right? You're still uh, under arrest, but you haven't had your sentence um, you know laid down yet. You haven't gone before that judge who's going to sentence you to maybe life in prison. Right? That, that's sort of the gist of this, right? The, that uh, your sentence, you, when you die and you wake up in Hades, uh, we'll know our judgment, right? Uh, the rich man knew his and Lazarus knew his. But it's not going to be until the day of judgment uh, that that sentence will officially you know, be laid down for eternally, right? So I, that, that's always kind of helped me uh, thinking about that. Well, I think I've gone way past our time. Uh, I know that, that that's a lot. Again, it's a very heavy 
heavy um, topic. And, you know, and I'm thinking about, you know, maybe when we get done with the life of Christ, of maybe doing a series of classes on that, if that would interest you. Uh, but um, I appreciate all the feedback here this morning. Uh, Jason, do you have the closing prayer for us? All right. Thank you. Close for